welcome everyone to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma, and I'm so glad to have you along. Today is a different show. About once a month, we take a break from our author interviews and we do a topic of some kind or another. And this one is an episode that you guys helped to put together. I asked on social media about what is a non-starter for you in a book. What's going to make you either not pick the book up or what's going to make you close the book and not finish reading it. So we're going to talk about that. I have a lot of answers from you guys. Thank you so much for participating in this on our social media platform. And if you are not connecting with us there, please check out Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Please join us, and then you get input when we have topics like this as well. Also, just by way of reminder, if you haven't subscribed, please do so so that you don't miss out on any of these episodes. I would hate for you to miss out on some of the great authors that we have coming out and some more of the wonderful topics that we're going to be talking about here and the chance for you to hear your input. That's about it. So then I'm going to get started right away. I don't have to introduce anyone today. We're just going to get into this and talk about what is a non-starter for you in a book. What is just going to totally turn you off? There have been books that I have started and not finished. Quite a few of them, actually. There's one that I just recently started, so I'll tell you what mine is that I didn't get through. I'm not going to go back and finish it. And that was because it was very, very complicated. And there were a lot of moving pieces in it, and I just couldn't put them together. It was not an easy read. And at this point in my life, anyway, I'm very busy. I don't have a lot of time. And when I sit down to read, I just want to be entertained. And I can learn something along the way too. And I'm not talking, I don't want anything super simplistic either, but where I really have to write out a character list to keep track of who is who and where they are. And it was just too much for me. And so I read a little bit of the book, but I have put it away and I don't plan on finishing it. So that was a real turnoff to me. So that's my big turnoff. That's what's going to be a non-starter for me in a book. If I open it up right away and there are a whole list of people and there are people jumping up and I don't know who they are. This sometimes happens in series. This one was part of a series and it had been a while since I had read the first book to be perfectly honest with you. And so to remember everybody and their backstories from the previous book was really, really hard. So that's what's going to make me close a book. And one of you mentioned something very similar to that, and that is reading a series where there is a cliffhanger at the end of one of the books. And that is a huge turnoff for me as well. I can totally understand that. I'm 100% with you. I was reading a series. I think it was the first book in the series that I was reading. And I'm not going to mention the book. I'm not going to mention the author because that's not what I do here. 
but I was really into the book. It was good. It was very good. It held my attention. Then I'm waiting and I'm looking. It was a paperback, so I had it in my hand. I could see how much I had left to read. And I'm getting down and the pages are getting smaller and smaller. And I'm thinking, how in the world are they going to wrap this up? There were two sisters in there and neither of the sisters' storylines were coming together. They weren't getting wrapped up. And I'm thinking, what in the world? How can they do this so fast? It's going to be a really rushed ending. I don't think I'm going to like this ending. I got to the end and it was a cliffhanger for both of the sisters' storylines. They were both POV characters. And I just about threw the book against the wall because I was so upset by that. And so, yes, if it's going to be a book in a series, that's fine. If they had wrapped up one of the sister's storylines and given her her happily ever after, I probably would have picked up the next book to find out what happened with the other sister. That's sort of how I thought it was going to go, but it didn't. And I never read the rest of the series because I was so upset by that. So I totally get that, and I am 100% with you. Several of you mentioned this, too, and it's a big turnoff, especially in the Christian fiction market, and that is language. It needs to be clean language, and I'm not going to say who or what, but I have read some books that are marketed as Christian fiction, and I'm using air quotes there as I say that, that have foul language in it. They don't try to hide that. It's it's not a lot, and it's not real bad language, but it is language that offends me, and especially offends my mother. She was just livid and has said she's not going to read any more books by this publisher. This is Christian fiction that you're picking up. And you're picking it up for a reason. You are reading in this market and these genres because it is Christian. And so you expect certain things out of that. And one of the things that you expect when you pick up a novel that is marketed as Christian fiction, you expect it to be clean that there is not going to be any foul language. And I have been part of groups that we have talked about this. We need to keep it clean. And yeah, sometimes there are going to be very rough characters. Your antagonist, for example, may not be a very good person. And part of their personality may be to swear. But there is a way that you can do it, that you can have it in there without saying the actual words. And it's really very simple. He swore. That's all you really have to say. Or he had some choice words for her, something along those lines. It's really easy to not have it in there and it doesn't need to be in there. I agree. When I pick up a Christian novel, I want it to be clean. I don't want to have to be reading a lot of bad language. There is so much of that on TV now, and there is so much of it in the general market fiction that I don't need to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I agree that foul language is going to be a huge turnoff for me. 
Another thing that's sort of along that same line, and some of you mentioned this as well, a number of you mentioned this, is any gratuitous violence. If it's going to be any abuse of any kind, I think you can understand where I'm going with that one. Or if there is just violence in general. And again, I think it goes back to the fact that you are picking up a Christian novel. And so you expect not to have to read all that violence. And it can be very triggering for people to read that. If you have been through any kind of trauma yourself, it's hard to read those kinds of things. Now, there are writers who write suspense. There are writers who write thrillers. And like Jamie Jo Wright, she has those very dark gothic types of novels. And even authors like myself who write World War II fiction, any type of war fiction, civil war, there is violence necessarily in there. There are bad things happening. There are dark things happening. And so for authors, it really is a very fine line to walk. We need to get across that this is the violence of war and yet not make it gratuitous, not make it on the page necessarily. And so that is, I think, how we do it. We can talk about it later and maybe write the scene to a certain point and leave the rest to your imagination. Because writing a World War II novel or writing any type of suspense novel, I wrote four true crime stories. It's very hard to walk that line and to be super careful to get that across, that something bad is happening, but not cross that to make people uncomfortable. Some publishers have started putting trigger warnings in the front of their books, which I think is a good thing. I try to steer away from that as much as I can. But as I said, when I write true crime, when I write suspense, when I write World War II, it's just naturally going to be in there. And I'm glad that the person who mentioned violence in a book put the word gratuitous in there. Sometimes there is violence that just isn't needed and doesn't need to be shown on the page. That can be a very huge turnoff for people. One of you mentioned poor editing as a reason for you to not finish a book. And I would agree with you 100 million percent. And I'm talking now as an editor, but poor editing, poor proofreading can really be a turnoff. It just makes a book hard to read, doesn't it? It just makes the book so difficult to get through because you can't concentrate on the story. Now, this is me again as an editor talking. So when I'm reading any kind of book, I always have my editor's hat on. And I would think if I were editing this book, how would I change this? What would I say to the author about this? That just pops into my mind naturally because that's how I am trained to be when I read but it bothers me and it bothers a lot of you. I know I have talked to my dad who read a book that was incredibly poorly edited and proofread. 
And he was just really upset about it. And I get where he's coming from. And I get where you're coming from because it takes away from the story. You can't enjoy the story if you're always thinking, oh, that word is spelled wrong. That's used incorrectly. That's bad grammar. That's whatever. Or she had green eyes last chapter. Why does she have brown eyes now? Anything like that detracts from the story. I was taught when I was taught writing and how to write well, that you are creating a fictional dream for the reader. And as a reader, we step into that fictional dream. We step into that world that the author has created. And we want to be in the 1880s on the prairie or in the Netherlands during the Second World War or in the Gilded Age with the New York Society, wherever the author has placed you, you create that fictional dream and put them into the story. And a really, really well-written story, you all know this, is going to really hold you in. And you sort of forget about where you are. You forget that you have kids to pick up from school. You forget that you have dinner in the oven. That's what we're supposed to do as authors. And poor editing takes away from that. It pops you out of what we call the fictional dream. And every time that you get popped out of the fictional dream, you lose more and more of your connection with the story and with the characters. So that's why good editing is so, so important. And I stress that anybody who wants to write, especially self-published people, but even in the traditional market, make sure the editing is good. Make sure that it's right. Make sure you're not going to pop people out of the dream. If it's just an epidemic of typos or something like that, then I am not going to be going very far in the book. It would just drive me absolutely insane. And I would feel like editing it. And when I sit down and read for pleasure, I don't want to do that. And so, yes, poor editing, I think, is definitely a turnoff for people. A couple of you mentioned tropes that you don't like. And trope is basically just sort of a story structure or storyline that you use. Some of you mentioned some tropes that you just didn't like and that turned you off. And one of them was the secret baby trope. And yes, that can be a huge turnoff. It's something that's been done over and over and over and over again. And I think that's what you're getting at. Maybe it's just not a trope that you like to begin with, but then it's done so much that there is a secret child somewhere that pops up. And yeah, it sort of reads like a soap opera. And that can be a real turnoff for people. And I get that because it's really been overdone. And another trope that one of you mentioned was the friends to lovers trope. So they've been friends, they've known each other for a long time, and then all of a sudden they realize they love each other and, you know, but they're keeping it from each other because they're supposed to be friends and how will he react? How will she react if I tell my true feelings? And that's the tension in the story. And again, that's a trope that's been done a lot for a very long time. 
sometimes as an author, you have to have them having an established relationship already because it can be very difficult in the space of 80, 90,000 words to have them getting to know each other, just meeting blindly at the beginning and, you know, being falling in love at the very end of it. So sometimes it does help to have them having known each other previously or something like that, but then something happens to spark them on this journey. But yeah, if it's the, I can't tell her how I feel because I'm her friend, or I can't tell him my true feelings because we're supposed to be friends and I don't want to ruin that friendship. It's been way overdone and can be a real turnoff. Also a trope that involves the death of a child. And that can be super hard. And I understand that. That is very painful to read about the death of a child. And the thing is that in historical fiction, that does happen sometimes. I have been following on YouTube a channel. I think it's called Tea Time with Lindsay or something like that, if you want to look it up. But she does a lot of historical stuff, especially with royalty. She's just completing now a series on first ladies of the U.S. and talking about their early lives, their lives in the White House, what happened to them after their husbands were no longer president. And it's very, very interesting. And I noticed that so many of those first ladies died very, very young historically, just didn't live that long. I think there was one that died from childbirth. Please don't make me tell you which one it was because I don't remember all of these first ladies. I'm so sorry. But others died of disease. And there were a couple that died of typhoid fever or something like that. I was like, wow, that's just incredible that they're dying so young. So sometimes it happens. And many of these presidential couples did lose children as well. You think of President Lincoln. He ended up losing three children very young, one one or two, I can't even remember, in the White House while he was president and the great grief that it brings. So it does happen in Christian historical fiction. It does happen in historical fiction just because that's how it was. But it can be very, very difficult. And I can see how that would be a turnoff. And I'm trying to think back. I don't think I ever wrote The Death of a Child. It's not something that I would do lightly or easily if I did it. And I don't think I have ever written The Death of a Child. I've written The Death of a Lot of People. It's not a Liz Tolsman novel unless somebody dies. I'm so sorry about that. But that's the nature of what I write with the suspense and the World War II But to have the death of a child play out is truly difficult. I understand that. I'm talking a lot and I'm seeing that this time is going super fast. I didn't know if I would have a lot here, but you all had so much. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to all of what you say, but I will try. We'll fit in a few more here. One of you mentioned that there are so many books where one of the characters is insanely rich, totally good looking, you know, just perfect person. So the hero maybe is 
a millionaire or whatever and has all this money and is just yeah, rich beyond your wildest dreams. Think Mr. Darcy rich, that kind of rich and chiseled in perfect shape, you know, has the most amazing eyes and the most amazing smile and the hair is just gorgeous and all that kind of stuff. Same thing with the heroine, whether she's very rich or super good looking, you know, they compare her to models all the time. And she was just the most beautiful woman in the whole world. And that can be a turnoff. It's a turnoff to me. I have edited books where I've had to tell the authors to please just tone it down a little bit. You know, it's not realistic to have these people be the most amazingly good looking people in the whole world. Trust me, I study people. Go to the grocery store on a Saturday morning. You will see what people truly look like. And I didn't see any model-like people walking around the grocery store on a Saturday morning. Sorry, I just didn't. And while I like my characters to be at least average looking, I try to make them really believable characters, down to earth, people that you can relate to, characters that you can connect with. So they have a flaw, something they don't like about themselves, and you can kind of relate to that. That helps you to get into the character more, get into the book more. And so I understand why you would not like that insanely rich, insanely good-looking kind of thing. And I read a book once. It was not historical. I don't think it was even split time. I think it was contemporary. And actually, I just read another one that was very similar to this. And I really, really appreciated it. And the hero was sort of nerd-like. In one, he wore the nerd, nerdy glasses, kind of the nerdy clothes, that kind of stuff, was really into science or whatever he was into. I don't even remember. And I loved him because he was different than any other hero that I had ever seen. The tropes where they have been overused. You may still see those tropes. I have Karen Wittemeyer coming up on the podcast in a few weeks. And when I interviewed her, she writes Westerns. And there are a gazillion Westerns out there. You can read so many of them. And I asked her how she keeps it fresh. That's what an author's job is to do. I've heard there's only nine storylines or something like that in the whole world. The author's job is to put a spin on that. And I think of Gabriel Meyer's book, When the Day Comes. We had her on here a few weeks ago, and she took Time Slip, and she put a really new different twist on it by having her heroine have to choose which time she's going to live in. She kind of travels between the two different times and which time she wants to live in. Jody Hedlund does the time-crossing novels as well, putting a very different spin on a trope maybe that's been used a lot. And so I appreciated that with Gabriel. I loved that spin just on the generic basic time slip that's so popular right now, and there's nothing wrong with it. But when you have an author that puts a different spin on it, that makes it really neat. We'll go very quickly through some of the other ones that you mentioned. Someone said if it's too scary or too off the wall. 
yeah, I'm not going to pick up a book that's a thriller. I'm not comfortable reading it. It took me a lot of guts to try to get the courage up to read one of Jamie Jo Wright's books. I didn't think I would like it. I thought I would be scared by it, but I wasn't. I loved it. So I do read some like that, but if it's way too scary, I am not going to be reading it. No thrillers for me. Thank you very much. I don't go to see those movies and I don't appreciate that in a book. So I get that. Another turnoff is if the hero and heroine aren't on the scene right away. And yeah, if you have to wait a long, long time for the hero to come on scene, that is a turnoff because if it's a romance, especially, I want to see that hero and I want to get in his head. And so if the hero and heroine aren't there very, very soon, I don't want to see it. I'm not super interested in that either. That's a big turnoff for me. And as an editor, I would tell my client that they need to get the heroine on scene. A lot of chatting someone mentioned, you know, like I'm doing right now. I do like dialogue. I do like writing dialogue. I think it helps the story to move along and clip a little bit faster than just straight narrative. But I think what they're saying is if there's a lot of talking, there's not a lot of action. They aren't doing anything. He comes over and sits on the couch and that's how he courts her. There's no action. There's nothing going on. That is a big turnoff for me. I like something going on. And that's how I write. And that's how I like to read. There has to be action. There has to be movement. They have to be doing something. And long, long, long stretches of dialogue are a turnoff for me. A lot of chatting that's just really not necessary in there. Sometimes you can just cut that way down and still get that. First person present. So some of you like different points of view. So this person does not like first person present point of view. And it used to be huge years ago, especially with the chiclet books. That was huge. First person present. That was the thing. And then people got tired of it. There were some poorly written books that were first person present. And so the pendulum swung back to third person past tense. And so most books that you're going to read now are going to be third person past tense. That's all I've ever written. I've tried first person. Didn't go very well. So I may try it again at some point. But right now, that's what I write because that's sort of where the pendulum has swung and where I am comfortable writing. I personally don't mind reading it. But, you know, that's okay, too. Some people just don't like the first person present. I'm seeing it coming back a little bit more, especially in the time slip where sometimes they will write one storyline, one time era in third person past, and they will write another one in first person present. So I'm sort of seeing that starting to creep back in. So I'm sorry to the person who put that down. It might be showing up more and more, but I can understand why it's a non-starter for you. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're in that one character's head for the entire 80, 90,000 words, however long the book is. And that can be very tiring. And it's nice to be able to switch points of view and see somebody else's. A couple of you mentioned bad theology. And I know who you are. I know what your theology is like. I know how you lean. And I agree with you. So there are certain things in a book 
that don't align with my personal beliefs. And that's a huge turnoff for me. And two people mentioned this. One said bad theology. One said glorified sin. All kind of on the same line. The person who said glorified sin, I know that she would agree with the bad theology part. And so there are things that we just don't believe in. And it shows up quite frequently. I won't say quite frequently, not as much as it used to. I think it's getting better, but it used to show up quite a bit in books. And it was a real turnoff for me. I just got uncomfortable and didn't like it. So I now know who's going to have a theology that's a little bit closer to my theology, and I'm going to enjoy those books a little bit more. And so some people who believe differently than I do and write that way, if there's a lot of that bad theology in there, I probably will drop that author as someone I'm not going to read. Cheating, again, that's a huge turnoff. If the hero already has a girlfriend and then along comes the heroine and he dumps his girlfriend and things like that. I don't like that either. That's a turnoff for me. Big words. Oh, we have to get going and close this up. But this is a big turnoff for me too. And it's hard for us as authors because we love to play with words. We love to learn new words. We love to put them in there. We love to work with them. We love to kind of show off the words that we know and the words that we have learned. Words are cool to us authors, and we like to use ones that we've learned, new words that we've learned, and put them in there. But it is something that we as authors have to be aware of and be careful of not to put in too many big words. Because if the reader needs to have a dictionary next to them to look all of this stuff up, that is a huge turnoff. Again, we are reading for pleasure. And maybe you learn a new word or two. I don't mind one or two thrown in, but with there are so many of them that, yes, I need that dictionary by me. That is a huge turnoff. And I understand why the big words would be a non-starter. Going along with that bad theology would be any type of blasphemy or witchcraft. And I agree. Oh, and I love this. This is the last one that we're going to do. And that's silly storylines. Just, I don't think they're talking comedies or something that's funny, but I think what they're talking about is just really, this is weird. This is just bizarre. This is just silly. Maybe it's really simplistic. Maybe it's just too much. Like, for example, someone else said something that really turns them off, and this would fall in the silly category, is when there is an animal who is a point of view character. So you hear the animal's thoughts, and that's a huge turnoff for them. And it it would fall under the silly category. Maybe you don't mind it. I probably would not read it. I don't know. I can't say. I think I've read one book where there was a dog that had a POV, but it wasn't a huge POV and he wasn't the main character. You know, you go back to C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia where the animals do talk, but I think it works there in that context and in that setting. It was sort of a fantasy that he was writing. So then I will excuse it. But if it's, you know, straight historical, straight contemporary and the animal is talking, yeah, that's kind of silly. And I don't know if I would get into that very much. I just want to thank you all so much 
for all of these responses. You see, there were a lot of them and I didn't get quite to all of them, I don't think. I tried my best. I'm sorry if I missed yours, but thank you so much for your input. This was fun. It was fun to read what you wrote. It was fun to talk about what you wrote, to see, and as an author, to know what's a turnoff for you. If you aren't following us on social media, please do. You missed out on your opportunity to be a part of this podcast. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, if you would like more information about what we talked about today, and I'm going to have some links on there just to some of my favorite books that I think are really well done. Either they're really well written, or maybe they're scary but not too scary, or they have something that we've talked about that the author has worked in really well. I'll have some links to some of those books on there as well. So please check out my website, liztolsma.com. And while you're over there, join my Patreon so that you get some behind the scenes stuff and some fun content that the rest of the listeners are not getting. I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing with your friends and families about Christian historical fiction talk. I couldn't do it without you. Happy reading, and we will see you next week.